Good afternoon. You are listening to The Scoop here on CFRC 101.9 FM and podcasting on Spotify and iTunes. I'm Kareem Mosna. Red dresses hung from light poles on University Avenue on Thursday, May 5th, as it was Red Dress Day, the National Day of Awareness for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Children. According to the Native Women's Association of Canada, there are as many as 4,000 missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls throughout the country. The red dress exhibit was created by Métis artist Jamie Black and has displayed annually on May 5th across North America since 2011. I spoke with Janice Hill, the Associate Vice Principal of Indigenous Initiatives and Reconciliation at Queen's, about what the red dress symbolizes, the National Inquiry's report reclaiming power and place, and her hopes for the display. I'm happy to be here today. Thank you for inviting me, Karim. Now, this being uh, Red Dress Day, uh, part of the National Day of Awareness for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Children, Jamie Black's exhibit is, of course, going on across North America. And uh, I'd like to just get from your perspective uh, the significance of the red dress to, to this initiative. Well, I think the red dress was put the the whole process of the red dress project and this initiative was put forward by the artist Jamie Black to bring awareness to Canadians but also the world about this situation and the issue of murdered and missing Indigenous women, girls and gender non-conforming individuals because it's still largely an issue I think that not a lot of the general public are aware of even though it's been in the press and in the media for many years especially following on the the inquiry. The choice of the color red is because red is like a call to action. So red gets your attention, you know, and it's a, a symbol to help try and encourage people to take some steps to become educated and to help to move this portfolio forward. Of course, being a call to action, as you brought up, this was one of the calls to action within the Reconciliation Commission's final report. And, uh, of course, Queen's University has a connection to that report. Would you care to um, elaborate on that? Well, we do have a connection to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission um, final report, and we did our own task force and came up with 25 recommendations on how the university could enact um, ongoing and and sustained change at the university in response to those calls to action. But I think today, the more important report is the um, national inquiry um, on indigenous, uh, murdered and missing indigenous women, girl and girls and two spirit. And that report reclaiming power in place has its own calls to action. There were 231 calls to action from that national inquiry. And I don't believe any or very few of them have been acted upon. Well, what is your hope that, um, you know, having these red dresses displayed along University Avenue, what is the hope that people walking past and part of the Queen's community, what is your hope uh, that, that this will inspire? Well, I hope that it'll inspire questions and inquiry and curiosity. People will want to know why are these dresses hanging there? Why are they red? So if they care to do a little bit of research and find out, they'll become aware of the whole issue of murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls. And through that, perhaps find their way to the report and read the report and the recommendations and perhaps make a commitment 
to working on fulfilling or, or committing themselves to fulfilling some of those calls to action, even if it's to help educate others. You know, if I learn something and I share that with my family and my friends and they share it with their family and their friends, then that broadens the circle of those who are understanding and more aware of the situations in our country. As I mentioned earlier today to someone, Indigenous women and girls are 12 times more likely to be murdered or go missing than any other woman in Canada. How many people know that statistic? You know, you're not going to know those statistics if you don't do some research and find out. And maybe you'd never even question those things. But maybe the red dresses hanging on University Avenue will encourage you to try and find out some of that information. These red dresses will be up again uh, on May 12th. The purpose of that day will be to raise awareness, particularly men raising awareness against violence against women and children and girls. So there will be a walk on the Queen's campus. We'll be walking from Tyndall Field to Agnes Benedictson Field to raise awareness of this movement, this movement of men who've dedicated themselves to ending violence. Excellent. And for those that would like to learn more about all of this that we've discussed, what are some great resources that they can check out? Well, uh, there are a lot of online resources. If you look up uh, Moosehide Campaign or if you look up Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women and Girls, you will find the National Inquiry Report and the 231 Calls to Action. And in terms of the Moosehide Campaign, there's a whole uh, toolkit for people who would like to take part in that initiative and who would like to um, make their own commitments. There's a opportunity for people to fast for the day in support of this movement of remove violence against women and girls and children. And so there are a whole series of, of actions that people can be encouraged to take up on that day as well. Thank you very much for sharing all this great information. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to share. listening to The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM, cfrc.ca, and on Spotify and iTunes through podcast. After three years of running virtually, Science Rendezvous returned in person at the Leon Center on Saturday, May 7th, featuring various interactive exhibits in science, technology, mathematics, and engineering. The town crier, along with MP Mark Gerritsen and Mayor Brian Patterson, were there to greet crowds on Saturday morning. Here is MP Mark Gerritsen. It truly is uh, uh, inspiring to see so many young people in particular in our community get interested in science and technology, engineering, and mathematics. 
Uh, the federal government is a huge supporter in many different ways, including with this event, to make sure that we can get that interest there so that we can have those leaders right here in our country and indeed right here in our community moving into the forward. So thanks again to the organizers. I know the countless numbers of volunteers that go into making something like this successful. Uh, you truly are shaping future generations and your country certainly appreciates that. Thank you and have a great day. Representatives from across various departments of Queen's University showcased their work to participants. I spoke with student and faculty from the Space Engineering Department about their rover, the Psychology Department, and Mechanical Engineering about the mobile robotic dog. I'm Thomas Huckle. Uh, I'm just graduating my uh, master's degree in the Mechanical Engineering uh, and Materials Department. I mean, this is not something that you see every day. Like, yeah. like, um, it, tell me a bit about what's going on here, like how it's, um, how it's doing all, all of these movements. There's a bunch of motors in here. We're controlling it through uh, like this controller that we have here. There's a different control system where it's going to be like following you, but there's a, a variety of ways that you control it, but the main thing is it's motor control. So we have predefined commands that the programmers and uh, software engineers that designed this have made that uh, allow it to move like uh, stably, it's able to stand up, it's able to navigate uh, successfully. There's a bunch of sensors on here that you can uh, turn on so that it has obstacle avoidance so that if you're operating in conditions like this, you have lots of people, you don't want to hit them, it's able to sense it and then adjust its commands. Even though I may be like wanting it to go somewhere else, it will avoid them. So there's a lot of cool applications that can be done with this uh, where you can help map uh, hard to reach places where you may not be able to send humans or you can uh, have it go and investigate uh, sites for uh, civil engineering to uh, ex examine structures and document and automate a lot of processes that uh, our humans have to go and do. So this is a way that we can provide utility, automate a lot of different things and with a legged platform like this we're able to do it in a lot of places that say maybe wheeled robots can't go. So it opens a lot of new frontiers where we can apply mobile robots. Excellent. Yeah. And are we already seeing um, this in action in the world as, as we speak? Or, or is it a growing thing that we we'll see in the future? It's just kind of coming to fruition. So uh, uh, quadrupeds are probably the point where they're, they're starting to be used in industry, Boston Dynamic Spot. It's starting to launch to a lot of companies and there's a lot of companies that are showing interest in using this to do and automate a lot of processes in kind of hard to reach, hard to navigate uh, uh, areas. Uh, bipedal robots with similar to humans have two legs. Those robots are coming to uh, a little bit behind quadrupeds due to the instability. So again, there's, they're coming, but not quite yet. So I think it's just on the forefront of, of becoming, uh, becoming normal here. Cool, and can you give me the example of a type of automated process that this might be uh, used for? Yeah, so uh, there is a structural, um, uh, uh, structural um, monitoring. So if there's, say, bridges or uh, yeah, infrastructure that you want to make sure is safe for humans, you can have these uh, robots go and, uh, and uh, follow certain trajectories to go map the structure, see if there's any cracks forming in beams or concrete foundations so that you don't have to send humans to very remote sites to see if these structures are going to be failing. Fascinating. And what would you want, say, someone passing by this exhibit um, 
you know, perhaps perhaps someone who's considering a possible you know career down the road, what would you want them to take away from seeing this today? Uh, I would want them to just kind of see uh, see these robots and kind of get inspired for the next th uh, generation of uh, scientists and engineers to see how we can use robots to in real life situations to provide uh, utility and to provide interactions and experiences that we can use and take away and really kind of enjoy as well as, you know, uh, move, move society forward. My name is Mark Payumo. I'm a grad student in the psychology department at Queens. Part of our theme here today is like how to think like a scientist. And so we have sets over there that are just, you know, kind of engaging students in like how to do hypothesis testing and how to do experiments. And so I hope that with the event here today that children can come, up, come away with like that sort of knowledge of like how we do science, like the process of it, the scientific technique. And yeah, it's just really great to see everybody's different sets here from like the departments and all like the, the different exhibits that they have. Right, because perhaps, you know, to someone, you know, uh you know, who's just seen all this for the first time, it might look like really like, wow, this stuff is like, but, but I, but as you're saying, this is something that people, that people can pursue, um, you know, down the road and, you know, like how, how has studying this program um, sort of changed your perspective of, of psychology and science? Yeah, I'm learning a lot, just like how to, you know, be a scientist and like how to conduct research. So like the technical part of it is something that um, I really value and hope to like take away into like my career as well. Cool. And and what is sort of the direction you're hoping to go with your career following graduation? Yeah, I'm hoping to do some research in industry. So right now I'm doing EEG research. So I use um, electroencephalography to study like the electrical activity in our brains. And so I hope to take those skills and apply to industry research. My name is Misha Kowarski, and I'm the Chief Technical Officer at the Queen's Space Engineering Team with Queen's University. Excellent. So why don't you describe what we're looking at right in front of us here? Yeah, so we're looking at our Mars rover, uh, which we compete at the University Rover Challenge in Hanksville, Utah every year. Uh, so what you're looking at is just about our finished rover, uh, getting ready to go to competition uh, in a couple weeks, actually. Tell me about this competition. University Rover Challenge is run uh, by the Mars Society uh, just outside of Hanksville, Utah at their Mars Desert Research Station. It's an international competition and I believe there's over 16 different countries that are uh, represented at competition. And uh, it's made up of four different challenges that we have to compete in. So uh, the first two are the extreme retrieval and equipment servicing tasks. Uh, so you'll notice on our rover we have this big robot arm that lets us do all sorts of dexterous uh, motions and that's mostly for the equipment servicing task where we have to uh, drive around a little module and move switches and type on a keyboard and uh, pick up a screwdriver and screw in bolts and all that sort of thing. Uh, and then the extreme retrieval task is kind of like a obstacle course where we have to drive over some really extreme terrain and uh, retrieve some different components uh, to different locations. Uh, and then one of the really exciting challenges is the Autonomous Navigation Challenge. So our rover is actually capable of driving completely autonomously. Wow. And uh, so the challenge involves moving over uh, a large region of the desert completely autonomously without any human interaction. And then the final challenge is the science task, 
uh, which involves taking soil samples from the desert of Utah and doing all sorts of scientific analysis on it to try and find evidence of life, uh, both extant and extinct life, uh, in the soil down in the desert. What is it you hope, say, someone who's considering a career um, in this area, what is it you hope they might take away? Everything that we do as a part of a design team is really just to uh, you know, get people interested and excited in engineering and STEM fields in general. Uh, so anybody who works with us on QSET, we're really just trying to, um, you know, get people excited in the field and, uh, you know, move them towards uh, maybe helping Canada continue to be an innovator in space with companies like MDA or the Canadian Space Agency. You are listening to The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM, cfrc.ca, and on podcasts through Spotify and iTunes. I'm Kareem Mosna. Dr. Linda Colgan is the founder of Science Rendezvous Kingston. She joined me to talk about her inspiration for bringing Science Rendezvous to the city, the importance of science literacy and education, and the return to in-person delivery. This is our... 11th year in total, but we have not had a live event since 2019. So we're very excited to be back in person here at Leon Center. And uh, we go from there. I'll let you ask other questions. Excellent. So, uh, I mean, I guess that would be due to the pandemic that it, it has been an online virtual event up until this year. What did you feel was perhaps missing from the, um, from the total virtual experience? Actually, it was very interesting. In 2020, uh, Science Rendezvous was cancelled across the whole country, which was very, very sad. So last year, we did pivot to virtual, and we actually had 29,000 people from around the world attending our virtual event, which was held over a three-week period. We had visitors from Um, all over the globe, which was very exciting. The thing that was missing, of course, is what you are seeing here today in the in-person event. What is missing in the virtual event is the opportunity to interact personally with the scientists. When I walk through these halls and see the smiles on people's faces, both the volunteers and the children, and the adults who are accompanying them, I keep thinking this is what science education has to be about. We have to make it accessible, we have to make it interesting, we have to make it fun. And that's what Science Rendezvous does. And although all the online events were interactive and interesting, you can't make up for that human dimension. You simply can't. Oh, and, and just as you're touching upon, as, as so many people wearing the exhibits have touched upon and just seeing the expressions of, of people passing by, I mean, it's, it's capturing that, that curiosity. And as you said, um, science is, at the end of the day, science is fun. Science is fun. And the sad thing is, and this is one of the reasons that I do this, in Canada, less than 50% of high school graduates graduate with a grade 12 math or science credit. That means that they are eliminated from between 65 to 75 percent of apprenticeships, college programs, university programs. People don't recognize that science and mathematics are part of everything from learning how to be a chef 
to learning how to be an esthetician, to learning how to be a veterinary assistant, to learning how to be an engineer, let's say. Um, at the end of the day, one of the things also that we have learned during the pandemic is that general science literacy needs to be improved so that people understand what it is that scientists do and why we should believe in their research. Why are they doing this? They're wanting to tell us the truth. They're wanting to tell us all of the good things that are beneficial about the scientific research that they do. So we want people to develop confidence by meeting these people firsthand to say, you know what, I believe what those people told me. And that in and of itself is an enormous contribution. Certainly a theme that has come up today uh, from some of the speeches that were made before uh, the event, the doors opened, um, was the sense that perhaps there, there more uh, students should be considering uh, careers in STEM. Uh, can you speak a little bit more towards that, that point that's been made? I think one of the things that we know now is that anybody who is going to pursue any kind of a career is going to need an interdisciplinary approach. Right now, scientists work with all kinds of other disciplines. So, for example, in a, paleo a paleontologist would actually work with a geologist. They would work with a blacksmith. They would work with a fossil preservator. They would work with all kinds of different people with different skill sets. And so, in the future, no job is going to require just one skill set. The jobs are going to require multiple skill sets that include general knowledge about science, general knowledge about math. Certainly technology and computing is going to be there. Computational thinking is going to be there. We can't escape that. And so the other side of this is, though, that we need people who are able to communicate scientific research effectively. So we need people who are good writers. We need people who are good communicators. We need people who are good at um, public speaking so that they can sometimes translate the complicated scientific findings into accessible language that everybody can access and understand. Do you feel that, you know, Queen's University is, is doing enough to promote uh, the, these STEM programs? Queen's has a very rich history in STEM outreach. Uh, Science Rendezvous is funded largely by the Office of the Vice Principal Research, who has supported our work for a number of years. But as you look around at the displays and tables, you will see that Science Quest is here. You will see that the Queen's Baja team is here. You will see that the Queen's um, engineering team is here. The Ingenuity Labs are here. Everybody, there are, the Sync Lab is here. The, you know, 
there are representations from every single area of science work, um, including some, well, one of the top cardiologists at KGH is here doing ultrasounds um, and showing how the heart functions. We have the most amazing number of volunteers from across the STEM fields represented here today, but they also continue to do that work throughout the year. And they contribute to one of the aspects of Science Rendezvous that I haven't mentioned. We have a virtual platform still this year where we have all kinds of demonstrations and displays that the people that are out on the floor here have put together so that the experience doesn't end here. So Dr. Charlie Hindmarsh is here and he's doing some demonstrations at his um, lab's display, but he has also contributed some videos on how to make your own stethoscope at home using funnels and balloons. And so one of the things that we know is that every single person that is here is deeply, deeply committed to sharing their knowledge and inspiring the next generation of scientists. And my last question is, um, what do you hope that people just passing by through today, what do you hope they, they take away from this event and any of the other virtual events that are, are taking place? I always say to my students in my classes at Queen's, if you are going away having learned one new thing today, I am a happy professor. So basically, what I'm hoping today is that everyone goes away with one wow. I didn't know that. Um, and that that one wow turns into a conversation at the dining room table so that people are actually expanding and sharing the experience. That's what I'm hoping. You are listening to The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca, and podcasting through Spotify and iTunes. I'm Kareem Mosna. Special thanks to Dr. Linda Colgan for speaking with me about Science Rendezvous Kingston. In other news, the first support group for survivors of conversion therapy will host an awards ceremony and night of entertainment in Kingston at the end of this month. CT Survivors Connect was created by Belleville resident Ben Rogers in July of last year and has become the first and only federally incorporated not-for-profit organization to support survivors of conversion therapy traumas in Canada. Rogers says, I wanted people to see there is a community and they can reach out and feel safe. To see there are enough people in different areas that are finally reaching out is really empowering. CT Survivors Connect will host a drag and comedy night on May 27th at the Renaissance, featuring local comedians and drag performers. Three awards along with unknown prizes will be handed out at the event. This story was courtesy of Owen Fullerton of YGK News. Provincial election candidates will debate climate change and environmental issues this evening from 7 to 8.30 over Zoom. The debate is hosted by the Providence Centre for Justice, Peace and Integrity of Creation. Candidates will be asked questions from local environmental groups and meeting participants. According to a recent report from the University of Waterloo, Kingston is one of 15 Canadian cities at the highest risk for extreme heat events in the following years. To register for the event, go to bit.ly slash ygkdebate. Thank you for listening to The Scoop this week on CFRC 101.9 FM, broadcasting from Kingston, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee people. 
You can find previous episodes of The Scoop by going to cfrc.ca.